Father, thank you for the opportunity to come together. Uh, we come together, Father, here with this service in, uh, in the South Hills, and we're joined together at the campus in Washington and Robinson and all those online, and we thank you, Lord, that through technology we can come together and we can, we can worship you and we can uh, listen to what you have to tell us through your word. So, Father, we are asking today that you speak to us as only you can do. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. This past week, we remembered the events of 9-11. And even though that's been some years ago, that uh, tragedy is still branded, uh, isn't it, on our minds. We will never forget these images. Check these out. Towers are um, home, at least during the day, to upwards of 50,000 workers. Um, I am reminded of a couple of things that happened recently, Dr. Gross. Not long ago, uh, just a couple of, within the last couple of weeks, in fact, uh, there was a pilot who flew. There was another one. We just saw, we just saw another one. We just saw another one apparently go... Another plane just flew into the second tower. This raises, this has to be deliberate, folks. On that day, we realized that we were under attack. People were taking our planes, flying them into our buildings on our soil. It's bad enough to fight a, a war in another country. But, um, but when the enemy is inside the gates, man, that presents a, an unexpected and unsettling danger. Foundational to the health of our country and our church is a small unit called family. And there are many threats to its de- demise. Sex before marriage carries a heavy and unhealthy baggage into the marriage. Sex outside of marriage is like taking one of those planes and flying them right into your home. Living together before marriage is a mockery to the commitment of covenant that God calls for. Divorce rips families in two. Gay marriage is an attack on God's design. And and we all know the institutional powers of government and education and media are trying to redefine what marriage and family is. But you you know the greatest threat to marriage? The greatest thing that causes the demise of a marriage? Let me let me let me put it personal. You know what the greatest threat to my marriage is? Two. Two greatest threats to our marriage. By the way, in case you didn't know, Lori is my wife. I wanted you to make sure you understand that. At the end of the day, the president or Congress will not determine the success of a marriage. I have never heard anyone 
who came to my office and said, hey, we just got an order from the Supreme Court that said we should get a divorce. No one's ever gotten a, a letter from Hollywood saying, you, you guys can't get along. You've watched our shows, and, and you should call your marriage quits. If we do our job right, parents, there is no high school teacher nor college professor who could ever convince our children that two mommies and two daddies are just fine. Family is under attack, but the hard truth is this, the biggest threat is you and you and you and you and me. And until we own that hard truth, marriages inside the church will continue to look like marriages outside the church. So we're involved in a series of sermons we've called Family Under Attack. And the purpose is very simple. We want to look at a biblical understanding of what God has to say about marriage and family. We've got to understand it first. This comes from God. It is His design. It is His idea. What does He say about marriage? Now, I don't want that just to be a weekend deal where you come for for an hour and 15 minutes uh, on the weekend, and you get the stuff, and then you go out. We want you to think about it every day. And so I'm doing daily devotions every day for you to get on your uh, computer screen or your smartphone and think about marriage and the family. We put together this book. You can get it in the bookstore, what the Bible says about marriage, divorce, living together, and homosexuality. Uh, Tunchokin and I have recorded a series of programs that will be uh, aired on the radio starting tomorrow, uh, the 16th. And you can listen to those on the radio, or you can go on oneplace.com. You can go through our website, go on oneplace.com, and you can listen to those any time of the day. We think these are important series, biblical manhood, because men, we've got to know who we are and the responsibilities God has given us. So the first thing we want to do is to be equipped, and we want to give you all the resources we can. Secondly, through this series, we want to personally apply the biblical truths. Because you all know, you can have all the information right here, but until it moves to here, it is for naught. So today, I want to start by working through God's design for marriage. What does God have to say about this thing we call marriage? And we could go to many passages in Scripture to talk about this. In fact, I believe every passage that deals with relationship should be applied to marriage first, right? Reckless words pierce like a sword. That should be applied to marriage first. Howard Hendricks, a professor I had at Dallas Seminary, used to say, if this doesn't work in your home, guys, it doesn't work. Don't export it. And it's true, isn't it? If the Bible doesn't work in our home, if the instruction of Scripture does not work in our home, then it doesn't work. Because this is the foundation, foundational unit that God has to build His church. And if it's crumbling at that level, it's going to crumble at every other level as well. So we could go to many passages, but there are two passages that I want to look at today. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. And from these passages, I want to draw five essential elements of a successful marriage. Now, there are a lot of things we talk about in the marriage enrichment class. There is communication tools, and there's conflict management, and there's sexuality stuff, and there's uh, developing your faith and friendship in marriage. All these things we talk about, but the five 
big picture, big rocks, if you will. Essential elements of marriage are found in these two verses. Let's look at them. Genesis uh, chapter 2. Let me start with verse 20, the middle of it. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and he closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord made the woman uh, from the rib uh, he had taken from the man, and he brought her to, to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now Moses is the writer of this, and he is writing after the fact. He wasn't at creation. God revealed this to him. So he's writing after the fact. But now in verse 24, it's as if he now steps into to the current time, and he says, for this reason, God created man and woman. Now, for this reason, this is why we do what we do. This is why we have marriage celebrations. This is why we have times of commitment. This is why we honor marriage. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, let's just think through that passage and get three of the five essential elements for a successful marriage. Here's the first one. That is why a man leaves his father and mother. The first thing you got to do in your marriage relationship, if you're going to make it successful, is to leave mom and dad. In a successful marriage, a husband and wife leaves their parents. Now think about it. Our mom and dad, to that point in our life, represent the most connected relationships we have ever known. Those are the two people who brought us into the world. They raised us. They protected us. They provided for us. They sacrificed for us. They changed our dirty diapers when we were little. They sat with us when we were sick. They stayed up in the early morning of, of Christmas Day putting together a bicycle with sketchy instructions and missing parts. <laughs> they love us like nobody else. And we're to leave that connected relationship. Obviously, if we're to leave that connected relationship, we're to leave any relationship we have with other family members or, or friends. Now, what does it mean to leave? Well, obviously, it does not mean from other passages of Scripture that you write off your parents, that you forsake your parents, that you never see them again, or you write off family and friends. We'll continue to enjoy our parents. In fact, one day, we, we may well need to care for our parents, and that's biblical as well. Loving sibling rivalries will continue. We'll continue to love our siblings, and we'll still have time for Monday night football games and shopping trips with our best buds. Guys, Monday night football, and women shopping trips. I just wanted to make sure you got that. But in marriage, these relationships change. Marriage requires a brand new priority. The primary allegiance of a husband and wife replace the loyalty to parents. Former commitments are replaced by husband and wife. Family, friends are superseded. In, in marriage, there is an emotional transfer of devotion. In their, in their really great book, Intimate Allies, Allender and Longman uh, say it this way, leaving means starting a whole new relationship in which the core loyalty is not the parents, not the parents' priority, traditions, or influence, 
but an entirely new family that must set its own course, form, and purpose. And if you're going to get married, young adults and singles, if you haven't gotten married yet, you better make sure that you are willing to leave father and mother. That means you can't live right across the street from mommy and daddy. That's cute. That's cute to be clingy, right? When you're two and three and four. But not when you're 20 and 30 and 40. Will you leave mom and dad? There are a lot of marriages today struggling because they haven't left mom and dad. Still emotionally tied. So any issue that comes up in marriage, they're right back to their parents. Now, parents, let your children go. Don't be a problem in the process. I know, I know from experience, this is, this is not easy. I mean, whoever came up with, with that, that giveaway in the wedding ceremony, they should be shot. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> I mean, giving your daughter away is like handing over a fine piece of expensive china to a gorilla. <laughs> that's what it feels like. But that's an essential element of leaving father and mother. So parents, don't be a problem in the process. Okay, that's the first one. The second one is, back to Genesis chapter uh, 24, is united to. Husband and wife are to leave those past relationships, transfer loyalty now to husband and wife. They are loyal primarily to each other, and they're to be united to each other. I love that word united. It means to, uh, it means to cling to. It means to hold fast. The word is used uh, in Scripture two other times. It's used in Job of the skin clinging to the bones. That's pretty united, isn't it? It's also used in a Second Samuel of a warrior, Eliezer, and he's been fighting the Philistines, and he is, he's, he's winning the battles, and he fought so long and so hard, and he's so exhausted that when, when the battle is over, he can't, he can't let his hand go of the sword. It is frozen to his sword, and so it is in the marriage relationship. United means commitment. It means permanence, committed to sticking together. It means stability, committed to the long haul. It means meta-commitment, commitment to commitment. And if you're not willing to make a lifelong commitment, you're not ready for marriage. The question is, are you committed to your marriage for better or worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health? Great stories when we hear of someone getting good news, but you always don't get good news. I have a friend uh, in Colorado. He passed away this week. We had worked with him on some writing things. And he called one day and said, I got, just found out I got a, a brain tumor. He just passed away. And the notes from his wife were, went like this. It was a privilege for me to walk through this man, to walk through this illness with this man I loved. It's a privilege for me. Marriage is a room with no doors and no windows. We'll talk about one exception later on, but there's just one, and you got to be committed to this thing for better or worse. You said it. You stood right here with your gown and tuxedo, with all the people you invited, and you said, better or worse, Richard, no one was making you say that. You did it voluntarily. When you make a vow, you got to keep it, and you better make sure when you stand and say that, you're saying it to someone you can keep that vow with. Three essential Elements of marriage here in Genesis, leave father and mother, be united to wife, and the two will become 
one flesh. That one flesh means five things. Let me go through them quickly. Number one, spiritual oneness. Developing together as followers of Jesus Christ. This involves praying together, doing vote devotions together, worshiping together, serving together. It, it, involves, it involves doing the spiritual life together. And we're going to see men in a little bit. You are the leader in that. Your families should be worshiping together. If you're here today and your families aren't worshiping, worshiping together, you've got to fix that. We, we, I hear families talking about, well, the church just splits families up. Well, well you're right. If your whole family goes to the youth group, that's going to be a little weird. Don't do that. If your whole family goes to the men's locker room, don't do that either. Or the women's, you can't do that. But here, you can have your whole family with you. So worship with your family, spiritual oneness. Number two, physical oneness, an exclusive, fulfilling sexual commitment. We'll talk about biblical sexuality next week. Number three, a mental oneness, focusing your thoughts on your spouse alone. Number four, an emotional oneness, committed to exclusive feelings. Let's just say it. Facebook is destroying many marriages. And there are a lot of men and women who would rather be on their Facebook chatting with old friends or new friends instead of being in the other room with a real-life person developing that relationship. There are a lot... Selected applause. I love that. Wait till I talk about the golf game. Um, so <laughs> I never get an amen or applause on that. So if that's an issue for you, stop it. R- realize the issue and stop it. Spiritual oneness, physical oneness, mental oneness, emotional oneness, missional oneness. Going the same direction at the same time for the same reasons. You are one flesh. You're going together. So if a husband comes to me or a wife comes to me, let's say a husband comes to me, and he says, you know, man, I got fired up about this ministry. I've been reading Crazy Love, and I've been reading Radical, and, and I'm going I'm to sell my house. I'm going to go overseas, and, and I know God is calling me to this, but my wife, she's not quite on board. Well, I'm no prophet. But if your wife's not on board, God's not calling you to it. Because you said one flesh. And he's saying one flesh. And so you got two options. You either, have to, you either have to ask God to change your heart, or you have to ask God to change your wife's heart. Because when you do marriage, you do it together. Same direction, same time, for the same reasons. Leave father and mother, united to wife, one flesh. We need to go to Ephesians chapter 5 to get the other two. Turn over there with me. To the New Testament. Ephesians 5. Look at verse uh, 22. Wives, submit yourselves. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior now, as the church submits to, uh, to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Five essential elements in a successful marriage. Number four is this. Husband, you 
have to be servant leader. God calls each husband to be the spiritual leader of his home. It is a God-given rule. It cannot be delegated, it cannot be abdicated, and it cannot be ignored. It is not dependent on your travel schedule. God doesn't have an asterisk here and say, be the spiritual leader. Oh, if you don't travel too much. It's not dependent on your job. It's not dependent on your personality, and it's not dependent on your preferences. You are, if you're a man, the spiritual leader of your home. Leadership of the family is never dictatorial. It is never heavy-handed, and it is never in any way abusive. Servant leadership is composed of these four things. Number one, it is composed of a sacrificial love. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He sacrificed himself for the church. And men, you ought to be able and willing to sacrifice anything that would cause a demise to your marriage. If it's your career, you better find another career. If it's your job, you better find another job. Because your marriage is more important than those things. And at the end of the day, your kids are not going to be talking about your nice house and your big paycheck. They're going to be talking about mom and dad stayed together. He was a man of integrity. He was a spiritual leader in our home. Sacrificial love. And I find guys who are, would be more willing to give up their life for their spouse than they would a golf game. I'm waiting on... There we go. Okay. <laughs> Doesn't work. I have to ask for it. Number two, not only a sacrificial love, but a sanctifying love. Look at verses 25 and 26 again. Love, love your wife just as Christ loved church and gave himself up for her to make her what? Not a trick, not a trick question. You ready? To make her holy. Now, there's only one person who can make us holy, and that's Jesus Christ. But husbands need to be a partner with Christ and encourage their wives' spiritual life and support them and set a personal example for them and lead in family prayer and lead in family devos and take lead in the family worship. Again, I'll say it again. I believe families should be worshiping together. Servant leadership, sacrificial love, sanctifying love. Number three, a nourishing love. Look at 28 and 29. In the same way husbands ought to love their wives, as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. Nourishing. We are commanded to care for. Husbands, we are commanded to care for our wives' physical needs, mental needs, and emotional needs. You are responsible for your wife's well-being physically, emotionally, and physically. Just like we care for our own bodies. We don't miss a meal. We don't miss our workout. Just like we care for our own bodies, we are to care for our wives. A nourishing love. And lastly, a satisfying love. Look at Ephesians 5, 31 again. For this reason, this is repeated here in Genesis 2, 24. is repeated here in Ephesians. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united his wife, and they will become one flesh. They are moving through life together. It is a satisfying love. If you don't know if your wife is satisfied... All you have to do is ask her. Have that conversation and see what you need to do. Men have to be the servant leaders of their home. You cannot delegate it. You cannot abdicate it. 
Last one. Wife needs to be, so leaving, united to, oneness, servant leader, and wife, spiritual partner. Look at verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your husband as to the Lord. Now, I know this is not popular. And I know our culture has taken this word and, and turned it upside down. And I even hear Christian women say, well, you see, uh, yeah, I get this. My husband's the head, but I'm the neck, and that turns uh, the head. <laughs> and you know what? It, 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 it's funny as humor, but it's not funny when a person is just fulfilling the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law. What does submission mean? Well, let's start with what it doesn't mean. Number one, submission does not mean that a wife is inferior to her husband in any way whatsoever. Galatians tells us that the husband and the wife are equal at the foot of the cross. At the foot of the cross. In the eyes of, 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 of God who sees us through Jesus, we are, there is no male nor female, there is no Greek or, or, or Jew, there is no slave or freedman. We are all equal. So it has nothing to do with with any type of inferiority, spiritual, emotional, physical, whatever. Number two, submission does not mean that a woman loses her identity and becomes a non-person in the marriage. It does not mean that. Again, the analogy here is Christ and the church. The church doesn't lose her identity. In fact, it's only in Christ that the church has identity. Number three, submission does not mean a woman is a passive participant in marriage and family. It does not mean that at all. Again, the analogy is with Christ and the church. Is the church a passive participant in the message of Christ? Absolutely not. It's interesting to me that as uh, this passage is, uh, that this same truth is given to us by the Apostle Peter, he uses Abraham's wife Sarah as an example of biblical submission. Now go read about Sarah, uh, Genesis 16 through 21. Man, she was one strong woman. She was anything but passive in their marriage. She was tough at times and a bit cantankerous. Why would God use Sarah as an example of biblical submission? Well, I think two reasons. Number one, first, he wants us to know that, that biblical submission does not take away from your personality. It doesn't take away from your participation in the marriage. And secondly... Sarah stuck by Abraham no matter what. Genesis chapter 12, when God said, Abraham, take your family and go to a land, I'll show you. Abraham said, where do you want me to go? And he said, well, I'll show you on the way. Sarah said, Abraham, let's go, man. I am right by your side. She stuck by him in times of disappointment. She stuck by him in times of difficulty. She stuck by him when he made some very foolish mistakes. She was right by his side. Think of your marriage as a, as a vice president, as, as a president-vice president thing, right? You're in it together. You're making decisions together. Every voice counts in it. But at the end of the day, one person has to be responsible. One person is held accountable. Oracle, that software company, IT company, they have four co-presidents. But at the end of the day, 
the owner, Larry Ellis, makes the calls. Because you can't have four people making the calls. At the end of the day, one person has to. Now again, being a servant leader is in no way dictatorial. But at the end of the day, God's going to look wives, God's going to look your husband in the eyes. And he's going to be accountable for your family. And then he's going to look you in the eye and say, how did you help him do that? Husbands, God has called us to be, so let me, before I say that, let me say this. Biblical submission is this. In marriage and family issues, wives are to voluntarily submit themselves to the servant leadership of their husband. Husbands, God has called us to be servant leaders. We must honor our wives' gifts and strengths and weaknesses. We must honor her with our thoughts and with our desires. We must forgive our wives just as Christ forgave us. We love God's forgiveness, don't we? We just have a hard time forgiving other people. It's a problem. We must demonstrate that she is more important to us than our parents, more important than brothers and sisters, more important than job and career, more important than recreation, and yes, even more important than your children. Guys, please listen to this. Servant leaders never demand submission. If you would ever say, wife, you have to submit to me, it's in the Bible, you have lost the day. You have lost the game. And you know absolutely nothing about servant leadership. Servant leaders never force or coerce. You want to see the the perfect servant leader. Just look at Jesus. Wives, you must demonstrate godly biblical submission. You must honor your husband as you honor Christ. In fact, you must honor your husband in order to honor Christ. You must forgive just as Jesus forgave you. You must demonstrate and communicate your loyalty to your husband. You you must love him even in his realm of all his weaknesses, and he has many. You must strive to enhance his gifts and strengths. A Christian husband who is in the battle, and it is a battle, it is a battle, to lead his family and honor God desperately needs a wife who believes in him. If you want to do the best thing for your husband this afternoon, pull him off to the side because the Steelers aren't playing until tomorrow night anyway. And just say, you know, I may have, I, I, maybe I haven't told you this for a little while, but I love you and I believe in you. Godly husbands need a wife who sets her heart to love and serve him. A Christian wife is in a battle to nurture her family, and she desperately needs a man who will lead spiritually, a man she respects enough to submit to who will sacrifice for her, who will demonstrate unconditional love to her, who will set his heart on loving and serving his wife. I know some of you are getting ready to get married or you're in a relationship. You better know for doggone sure that you're ready to commit to a man or woman who you can leave your father and mother for, 
you can commit to for your life for better or worse, you can demonstrate true oneness with, you can have them, you can follow their leadership if you're a woman, or you can lead if you're a man, you better know who that person is. And if you can't answer those questions, it's time to get out of this thing and do it right. I know some of you are, have been divorced. I, I get that. And you've lived through that hell. But if you're going to marry again, or if you are married again, these are the things you have to do to move on. And so many people don't do that. Here's the statistics. 50% of first-time marriages end, right? 60% of second-time marriages end. And 70% of third-time marriages end. And what's that tell you? The old country song. Wherever you go, there you are. You can run from yourself, but you won't get far. So if you're on your second marriage, now all these things apply. You better be committed and you better do the things right that you didn't do in your first marriage because however it ended, you had some chips on the table. You've got to do it God's way. All of us, we can only do it God's way when we submit our lives to Jesus Christ. And that's what we get to do now. And symbolic, not, not just symbolically, but in a real way as we take the bread and as we take the cup. As you hold the bread and the cup, two things. One, thank God for sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die just for you and the fact that He brought you to Himself. Thank Jesus, for his work on the cross. It's also time to examine our hearts as you hold the bread and the cup. Lord, am I, uh, have I really left mommy and daddy? Is that, is that a problem in, our, in my marriage? My other friend, does my, does my spouse know that she, he or she is, is absolutely number, has my full devotion? That's the question. Two, uh, are you um, committed to this thing? In your mind, is it, well, yeah, we'll keep this thing going and as long as we can. It's not, not the deal. You're, are you building this one flesh relationship? Men, are you servant leaders in your home? I don't care how much you travel. You need to check that out. If you're traveling too much, you've got to figure, you gotta, you gotta figure some things out. If you're too busy at work, you've got to figure some things out. I don't know what you do at work. I know it's busy. But I also know when you said I do and God started giving you kids, he gave you another responsibility that supersedes because you can't take your business with you to heaven. By God's grace, you can be surrounded by your family. Wise, are you demonstrating before Christ as you hold the bread and the cup, true biblical submission? Father, thank you for, for, for Jesus. Thank you for what he means to each one of us. Remind us today, Lord, that following him is not lip service. It is living out his instruction. And those instructions are just highlighted in the marriage relationship and in our families. Show us, Lord, where we need to change, and then give us the grace to do that as we hold the bread and the cup, and then later take it together. Be with us, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.